0: Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, and it's here where I'm gonna delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire, they're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments your suggestions or your questions directly to me at ceo at raincanada.com. that is ceo at r-e-i-n and if you're inclined please share this podcast with your friends your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know rate the show and comment on itunes stitcher soundcloud or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in and while you're at it please follow me on the everyday millionaire facebook page So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Jackson Milan, is known as the Wealth Mentor and is the CEO and co-founder of his business, or yes, Financial. There is the official bio of his incredible background and success in the wealth and business space. So that's not nearly as important as what you will learn in my conversation today with Jackson. What you do need to know, perhaps, is that Jackson has an amazing and proven record of helping others create super profitable service businesses and guides them in taking their businesses to the next level on their journey to financial freedom. He is one of the most awarded people in the wealth space, which is no surprise given that he knows how to help his clients create the lifestyle of their dreams, increase their profits, maximize their cash flow, and turn business profits into personal wealth. My kind of guy. Now, he is the international best-selling author of three different books and has spoken internationally to thousands. As well, he's appeared on Money Magazine, The Today Show, ABC, and has been featured in The Financial Review. So, with all of that said... Let's get this conversation rolling. Jackson Milan, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Dude, I'm excited to have you on the show. I got to ask you, though, what time is it right now for you?
1: At the moment, it is now 9.30 in the morning. 9.30 in the morning. And uh, it is Tuesday. So we, uh, we are in the future.
0: <laughs> you are in the future. That's awesome. Any stock tips that I should know? Okay, so let's get to work. So Jackson, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, you are in Australia. Tell me again, you, you did tell me you're in the Eastern tip yeah, so we're in far north Queensland in a place uh, called Cairns.
1: So it's the uh, the tropical region of Australia. Uh, we're currently on about 70 acres. We're surrounded by about 5,000 acres of World Heritage rainforest uh, that's filled with uh, with all of those creatures that uh, your parents warn you about and scare you out of coming to Australia that will try and kill you.
0: Yeah, 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 <laughs> because you've got all those snakes and deadly frogs and whatever other stories we might have here in Canada about Australia. Well, listen... When we uh, sit and uh, have these conversations, I like to lead into it, uh, Jackson, with a fundamental question. When somebody says, Jackson, what do you do? What's your uh, answer to that question these days? When someone says Jackson, I say, how can I help? Beautiful, and when they say, what do you do? What's your answer? So I'm a wealth coach and I help
1: service-based business owners master the language of money and systematically turn their business profits into personal wealth.
0: And so do you have a focus of small business owners? I know that uh, real estate's along there, I believe. And uh, tell me a little bit more about what kind of coaching you do and what's the premise for, you know, your framework for your coaching work.
1: Yeah, so all of our clients are service-based business owners. They're trades and home services businesses. They're allied health professionals. They're fitness uh, professionals. They're coaches, consultants. Essentially, most of them are experts in making meaningful changes in the lives of their clients that are high impact and high value. The big problem with a lot of these businesses is because these people are experts, they end up getting stuck into trading time for money they don't see themselves as being financial people. And for this reason, they end up just creating another job for themselves and living hand to mouth, never making their money work as hard for them as they possibly can. So what we help them do is we help them firstly, lift the invisible ceilings around their money mindset, shift the beliefs that they often have around money being complicated and difficult, help them actually simplify it and implement a really simple system. We then help them create structures and frameworks that hold them to a higher standard and make sure that they're focusing on real tangible outcomes, not vanity metrics. And then we help them make sure that the default action when it comes to wealth creation is action, because as we know, Patrick, uh, a good idea in theory remains exactly that, just a good idea until you put it into place. Um, And so many people are caught up on getting their financial decisions and investment decisions perfect, and perfect is impossible. Uh, This is about progress over performance fiction and we help them create money muscle memory using our repeatable framework uh, that gets their confidence and gets them into having really good healthy financial habits and get some clarity around how they create financial freedom for themselves and their families. Love it. So uh, we've been uh, lucky enough to help our clients build over $1.5 billion in combined wealth.
0: That's fantastic now when you look at especially when you're dealing with small business owners, I think that has got to be in my experience as probably the one of the biggest challenges that small businesses o- owners uh, face is they start selling their they're really just trading their time for money and they never can really break away from them being the the pointiest end of the the spear in 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 both a operational sense and then as well as you know a visionary sense. They're, they're, they're everything. And then busting out of that pattern is difficult to do surrounding themselves with a great team. Do you go through that process with your, you know, your service? Cause what you, when I heard you, uh, talk about, who your clients are they're really for primarily service based clients that's that's what I what I heard you know Correct. and and that yes. may not be true but that's what I heard and those are without a doubt the most difficult businesses to scale and especially if you're in it and to your point you are the expert now can you give me some insights you know we go down this path a little bit because I'm uh, very interested as a, as a small business owner uh, you know and as a business owner and then as a coach of real estate investors and business owners. I'm really interested in hearing what is some of your thought process or even some of the questions you might ask one of your clients when they come to you? Are they coming to you going, I'm losing my mind. I'm working, you know, 75 hours a week or 90 hours a week, and I can't make any more money because there's just not enough hours in a day. How How does that kind of dialogue unfold for you? Yeah, it's really interesting. This actually starts with my parents and
1: observing them when I was a kid. So my parents were business owners, my mum was a hairdresser, my dad was a tradesperson, and they were incredibly hard workers. Um, from all for As long as I can remember, they were working six, 10-hour days, seven days a week. And they always said to me, Jackson, if you want to be successful in life, you've got to work hard for it. And work hard they did. But as a kid, I very quickly started to realise that there was something wrong with what they were telling me and the reality of their situation. And what I could see is that they were working for money as opposed to money working for them because they never had much to show for all of this hard work. Everything was always hand to mouth. It was living week to week, month to month. And I quickly discovered that they didn't understand the language of money. Um, they didn't know how to use money as a tool or use their vehicle as a tool for wealth creation. All they knew was their craft, their, their, their technical skills, and they thought that just pursuing that and becoming a really good technician would guarantee them financial freedom, and it definitely didn't. And This is the common theme for most service professionals is that they're very, very good and they think just more effort is going to equal more reward. And the problem here is the business is a vehicle. It's a wealth creation vehicle, the best wealth creation vehicle, in my opinion. But because business owners put so much blood, sweat, and tears into their business, their business actually becomes the destination. It becomes the source of their validation. It becomes a a significant part of their identity. And as a result, they're being programmed to chase the vanity metrics. Hey, I just need to increase my top-line revenue. I need to get to 10K a month, 50K a month, 100K a month, whatever that number is. Hey, I just need to get more staff. I need one staff, five staff, 10 staff, 20 staff. But all of these things are not synonymous with financial freedom. So what we do, Patrick, is we actually start with the end in mind. We help them create a catalyst for changing their thinking. So the first thing we do is we get these people to define their financial freedom plan. We actually help them map out all of their lifestyle and financial goals outside of the business over 20 years, which sounds a little bit scary because most business owners are living kind of day-to-day, right? Sure. What we then do is we reverse engineer that into an action plan. And that is driven by an income target. So we say, Patrick, for you to live an amazing lifestyle, for you to do the things that you want to do and have enough surplus left over for you to build wealth, pay down debt or both to allow you to hit all of those milestones on your 20-year roadmap, this is how much income you need to make. We then reverse engineer that into the business. We set a profit target. Then we set a revenue target. And then we can actually use that as a lens to view all of your activities and actions in the business and tie everything you do every day to the outcomes that are intrinsically important to you. And what this does is this is about us asking the question Does this make the boat go faster? And if it doesn't, we don't do it. And if it does, we do. And the problem is for most business owners, because they don't have this lens, they're working off finger touch, this gut feel of what they think is right they always end up making subpar shitty decisions or chasing shiny objects that aren't actually pushing the needle forwards. And no wonder they have lackluster results.
0: Mm. I love this conversation. And, uh, you know, Jackson, I love the way you explain it. You've obviously explained it many times before, and uh, you can see it in your language. So it's perfect. Because, you know, when I look at my own history, so I've been You know, business owner for, I say that I've been self employed since 1984. I've been a business owner since about. 1998, you know what I'm saying? There was a there was a real shift for me yeah. in an understanding the difference between being self-employed versus owning a business. And that was a, quite a, but that's a dramatic shift for most to make. And it was a really cool journey. It's actually how I got into the world of investing in real estate, how I got involved in the Real Estate Investment Network. It, you know, a story that I often tell is that in my years as, uh, you know, w- operating my business, I've got three different businesses businesses one I'm with my wife this particular business real estate investment network and then my retail businesses in another province here in Canada but what I really got to is that I was observing people I admired generally other business owners and some of them were literally making you know multi well multiple millions of dollars in terms of their businesses very very wealthy And what I did notice about all of them was that they had other things that were going on, not the least of which is they all owned real estate. And it occurred to me. So I actually had a conversation with one of them one day and and said, you know, What's the gig? And he goes, dude, you know, one day you're going to exit your business. You don't know what that's going to look like. You know, you're still a young man. What is that going to look like in 25 or 30 years? And guess what? It may not look anything like you want it to look. You don't know what the market's going to be. So you have to take this money that you're making and good for you that you have profits. You got to set some goals in terms of what you're going to set and how you're going to invest and leverage your capital. Anyways, that took me on the real estate investing journey. But many small business owners never really get there. And to your point, they're making funny decisions decisions and and maybe not making decisions at all they're chasing shiny things and I can put up my hand and say I've been guilty of that over the years but you know when you're going through this process I mean you talk about a 20-year look that's a big project so do you have them uh, setting up a vision do you have a big long questionnaire like what's your process for helping somebody get out there 20 years
1: yeah let me give you some some detail on this from my own experience What's been interesting is that all these tools that I've created for my clients, I originally selfishly created for myself mm-hmm. um, because I needed them because I, I, I'm not a, an overnight success story. I was almost on the verge of bankruptcy from making some really bad decisions mm-hmm. that in the, the heat of the moment I thought were great, but in hindsight, just never worked out for me. And it was the same with – Can I poke in there just one second?
0: Just, sure, just I, I want to step over this. I think it's maybe a cool – I want to unpack something. That you thought were really sure. great decisions. Now, when you go back to that moment, and I want you to continue on your story, but when you go back to that moment, were they emotional-based decisions that you thought you had thought through?
1: Yeah, they they definitely were. And the analogy mm-hmm. I use and what I've discovered is that no one makes shit decisions on purpose. No. <laughs> like, as a human being, you make the best decision that is available on life's menu at the time. Like the analogy I like to use here is let's say you go to a restaurant. And uh, Patrick, what's, what's a food that you hate more than anything in the world? Liver. Liver. Okay, great. So there's liver on the menu. When, under what circumstances do you order two serves of those puppies?
0: I don't. <laughs> <You don't>, right? <laughs> so what we, norm-
1: what we normally do is we go to the restaurant and maybe the, the waiter comes across and says, hey, Patrick, there's this great special and um, the chef's been working on. Would you like to try it? And you're like, oh, I'm feeling lucky. You get it. And then in hindsight, you go, wow, this is terrible. I should have just stuck with the steak, right? <laughs> the same thing with life. It's just we, we choose the best option on life's menu. So the best thing we can do is add better options to life's menu. And the this is how my whole process evolved. Now, Going back to the beginning, I was in my mid-20s. I was working as a financial advisor. I'd got all the normal training to be a financial advisor, and I thought I was high-flying and knew everything, as most kind of mid-20s men do, right? My old man, who was a primary breadwinner of his household, I'd moved out at that point in time, but he had a stay-at-home wife and a young school-aged daughter. And he was diagnosed with stomach cancer and was unable to work. Now, he didn't have a very good financial foundation, so all of the burden of trying to save the household, pay for all the bills, put food on the table, fell onto me. And I went through my first corporate restructure at the time, double whammy, and I had about a 20% haircut on my income. Now, my brilliant idea at the time was to set up a men's fashion e-commerce business. I'd never designed a piece of clothing. I'd never built a website. I'd never done online marketing. I'd never done supply chain management. I'd never dealt with client fulfillment. It was basically a pure ego pursuit to prove the world that I was right and they were wrong. And the business had some success. We got it to multi-six figures. It had some notable features. But I hated the business because it was the blind pursuit of money. And as a result of trying to pay all of the bills, fund this cash-eating monster of a business, I ended up in multi-six figures in bad debt. And the option to hit that big red reset bankruptcy button was there. I could have. But I said, okay, well, I can hit the reset button. I can wait seven years to clean my record and start again, or I can earn my way out of this situation. And that's what I decided to do. I committed myself completely to wealth coaching. I've been the term financial advisor. I created this term wealth coach. And I said, okay, how can I avoid making these kinds of mistakes for myself? And how can I help other people who are typically emotionally driven? Because let's face it, most business owners are super passionate and make emotional decisions. How do I get them to make objective, forward-facing financial decisions that give them peace of mind and certainty about creating financial freedom? And very, very quickly, I paid off all of the bad debt, I scale to seven figures and I've been able to now build a $6 million business that, and I have a multi-seven figure net worth at 33. And it's because I've been able to implement these fundamentals. And this is what we teach our clients.
0: Well, yeah. And and I just want to not step over me rudely interrupting you. The reason I asked the, that question at the time was in my own kind of research and study, I've really discovered that more and more, so many decisions that we think we're making as in we think we're actually thinking them through are in fact our emotions fooling us into and convincing us that man have you ever thought this through really well and then we don't realize that we're still making an emotional decision and it was just the dumbest decision right so that's the only reason I think there's a there's a lot of value in that particular segment you know there's something else that you just said and I'm curious about is that your back was up against the wall, let's face it. Yes, you could have pressed a reset, but I mean, your back's up against the wall. And even if you push reset, it doesn't make your problems go away, it's just a new set of problems and and away Correct. you go. So when you look at your years of experience now and the number of clients that you've had, how often that the clients coming to you are, they're backs up against the wall, number one, they're, they're and it may not even be that they're backs up against the wall financially, they're mentally emotionally perhaps even physically spent so in other words yeah. they're not even being proactive in terms of seeking you out they're being reactive and you know so is do you do you see like how often do you have somebody walk in or call you that's being proactive going you know something i see a problem down the road i better get this handled now you know do you know what i'm saying do you see, yeah, it, i'm it, sure it there's doesn't a few happen. but like
1: it's, <laughs> it's rare it's yeah. really rare and to be honest the vast majority of our clients are coming to us reactively because they're in a shitty situation yeah. um and there's there's some crossroads where the fact is that they're like I can't deal with this anymore um, i've been doing this for 5 10 years already i'm i'm not earning the kind of money that I need to be earning. I feel like I'm drowning. I need, This is my last hope. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, we've even had clients come to us in similar situations to what I was in, being multi-six figures in bad debt, ready to hit that big red reset button. And through implementing these foundations, getting these fundamentals right, understanding the, the levers that have the most sensitivity to be able to turn that situation around and get them back into a good solid position and um, that's what they need and and I think this comes kind of aligns perfectly with what you're talking about here Patrick because my view for every all financial decision all decisions at all is that my self assessment is three things is this decision helping me make more profit is this decision helping me buy back my time or is this decision helping me build more wealth and if the answer is no to any of those three then I really need to be asking myself why I'm doing it in the first place.
0: So when you look at your, when we go back to what you got, where you felt that you got yourself into trouble around ego driven decision, and it was all about money, how do you differentiate you know, like I joke, you know, to me, I'm north of, today, I'm sitting here north of 60 years old, you know, people go, what are you doing? What's your plans? I go, you know, I'm on the Freedom 95 program, right? Because I look and going, I'll never not do what I do in terms of I'm driven by really supporting others. That's where I get my gas. That's what lights me up. And yes, yeah. I get paid for it. But it's not it, it's about trust me, it's about the money second. It's really about how can I be a contribution now. I've gotten that lesson over the years, but when you were back there, how did you back test the thought process that said, okay, no, this isn't money driven. This is the, you, know, you, you, know, you, yes, you had a background as a, a financial analyst or a, a finance, or you weren't a financial analyst. You were a finance guy, financial advisor, advisor, yeah. you know, so how did you marry those two and come out the other side going, this isn't about money. But it's about money. Like, were you savvy enough or were you kind of deep enough at that time to even say, you know, something, I can make a contribution here? Was it? Was that in yeah, some of your I, language?
1: I think, I think were, the big part of it was and something that I've learned to do from that experience was implementing a feedback loop into everything that I do. Now, one of the biggest weaknesses of most entrepreneurs is that we're always looking forwards. Like we achieve something, we don't even stop to pat ourselves on the back for that success. And we're like, okay, what's next? What's next? And what this lacks is a feedback loop. And it was famously said by Winston Churchill, those who fail to learn from history are bound to repeat it. Mm -hmm. Business and life is not about avoiding failure. It's about failing fast and learning from those failures. So what I did is I looked back and I said, okay, well, reflecting on that situation, what can I learn from that situation to avoid ending up in that same situation again or improving the quality of my decision-making? And the issue was that I was disheartened with the situation that I was in. Because my question was, well, why didn't I just focus on doubling down on my advising? It's because I was disheartened through that corporate restructure that I went through. So I, I was looking for greener pastures. And then I was kind of caught up in the bright lights and sexiness Of the new business and the the, the dopamine dump of learning new things and being involved in in the exploration of uncharted territory for me. And that created a perfect storm. If I would have been objective and looked and evaluated the opportunity, a product-based business is hugely reliant on inventory and has quite large startups requirements. Um, men's fashion e-commerce is typically a, a relatively low margin, high volume business. If I would have even just done the numbers originally to work out, okay, how, about, how big does this business need to be in top line revenue in order to replace my corporate salary? I very quickly would have said, wow, this does, this, there's probably better opportunities out there. So it was this definitely 2020 vision in hindsight, but I used the feedback loop to learn from that mistake. Now, what I then built off the back of that, Patrick, is that I created what we refer to as the, the, the profit pyramid. I said, okay, if I want to make sure that I've got a business that I could do forever, because like you, n- I'll never retire. And retirement is for people who hate what they do mm-hmm. or have been so burnt out that they physically can't yeah. continue to work anymore. And I have no intention to do either of those things. I want to love what I do every day and I want to do it at a pace that I could do for the rest of my life. So huge profits come from a result of purposeful positioning So creating a value proposition that embodies you and your values and communicates that to your ideal avatar where they have a light bulb moment. They go, aha, this is exactly what I need. Second thing is pricing and packaging. Don't sell time for money because there's really profitable businesses. Like I work with clients who just sell their time, but they sell that time at such a high premium that they have more profitable businesses than those who have massive leverage teams. Mm-hmm. So, if you understand how to price and how to package your value, then you can make a huge amount of profit. And then the third aspect of the pyramid is PL intelligence, understand how to read your numbers and use that as a lag indicator for the success of the levers that you're pulling in your business. And if you can have those three things, not only are you going to have a business that you really enjoy, but you can have a business that rewards you handsomely and allows you to fuel your property portfolio, allows you to create passive income, allows you to get to a point where you can actually choose what you do with your time.
0: So I like what you're saying in terms of where you go in these conversations, you know, because you talk about, you know, what you brought up there was, you know, where are your values aligned with the business? Where are your values aligned with the brand? And, and what do you stand for? That's a cool conversation. I'm a big, you know my whole, a lot of my narrative, what I talk about is is values driven you know what are your values and a lot of people you ask that question and they're not even sure what their values are and then they start going off on what they think their values are and really what they're talking about are moral values that are societal driven and or religion driven they're they're not really values and that's but it's such a an important conversation but then you got into something that few coaches really do. I know Dan Sullivan with Action Coach. I don't know if you have heard of him. He's a cool cat. He yeah. does these I mean he's a legend in in that space. But th- what you said was really interesting, which is how do you look at your P&L's? How do you read those profit and loss statements? How do you step back from it and, and say am I am I pricing right? You know, like is, are my, you know, are my metrics or is the matrix that I set up or the metrics I set up for pricing in alignment with getting the most, not only the most profitability, but providing the most value and leveraging that. So I love that whole conversation. So you're really into the operational side of things. I want to go back one, one back here, Jackson, which is you know, I want to go back to your parents a little bit because there's an interesting statement that you said earlier on, which was you noticed that your parents weren't really living or being. They were they were kind of walking. No, they were talking the talk. They weren't really walking the walk. Although that wasn't their intention, they were trying to give you some guidance around all of that. And at some point, yeah. you, you some point you're observing this as a young man growing up. You look at it and go mom, dad, you know, you're full of shit, like something's going on here. But go back, when did you kind of start to see that? Because that's an interesting view of the world to have as a young man, and to actually form an opinion of it. Any, was was there a fork in the road moment back then, do you think? Or anything that you can go back to and relate to? It's a really good question, mate. I I think my first real epiphany
1: on this was, and I was always a curious kid, um, always asking questions and looking at things from different perspectives. And I think my first epiphany was looking at, I remember I had a kid, uh, a kid that was a friend of mine. um, He was my best friend. His name was Alexander. And he was very, very wealthy. Um, They lived in this beautiful house, like right on the beach in a a really affluent part of Sydney. Um, His dad was always Traveling for work, I think he worked in in IT. And, but they just—he had all the best toys. He had everything. And I remember as a five-year-old kid asking Mum, like, whenever I'd come back from Alexander's place, I'm like, Mum, why don't we have the same amount of money that they do? Because we always struggled. Like, my parents always tried to give me the best opportunities, but there was always limitations. If I wanted something, they needed to sacrifice. In order to provide that to me, and it would always take time. And although they would always try and keep a strong face, I could sense under the surface the, the frustration, the friction that these requests would cause. And it would get me to a point where I'd just stop asking for things because I could see that pain. And I remember asking my mum my about it. And she said, Jackson, it's because they've made smarter financial decisions than us. Mm. And I go, aha, because the problem was that. One, my parents were never educated. Like We come from a very long history of working class families. I was the first person to finish a university degree. They were just hard workers. And for generations and generations, it was hardwired into them to survive. And what I've come to understand, one of my first mindset coaches taught me this principle. He said, Jackson, the situations that you learn to survive, your survival ultimately depends upon. Because one of the fundamental principles of biology is homeostasis, where our body, our physiology is designed to keep us in balance. But that happens to our mental state, our subconscious as well. So we create these neural pathways that because you survive a situation, your brain doesn't know how to distinguish, hey, that's not a good decision. We shouldn't go back there again. All it knows is, hey, I've been through that situation before, and it creates this cognitive bias to lead you back towards it. It's the reason why people tend to end up attracting the same types of partners over and over again, mm-hmm. the same types of clients over and over again, the same types of friends over and over again. It's because we need to create these new neural pathways and our survival has been dependent on these old ways. And that's what my parents fell into. The problem is that they didn't have the ability to lift themselves out of that situation and look from the outside in to be able to work at, Hey, something's got to shift and change. They just accepted the status quo.
0: You said in, just talking about there you had a mindset coach and my wife who's an olympic perfor- mental performance coach and just got back from olympics and was recently in france at worlds she's in a figure skating world uh, ice dance but the point is is that she's been doing that for 25 years and mm-hmm. i'm curious for you you went to a mindset coach or you what you refer to as a mindset coach tell me a little bit about that because you know in our world, we support real estate investors in investing in real estate. You know, the hows, the the strategies, the tactics, the what to do's, where to do's, all the rest of it. And I'm often surprised at people not understanding what gets in their way is themselves. They're, you know, I say the yeah. most important piece of real estate you'll ever own is between your ears. The good news is you already own it, but I'm often Frustrated and surprised by how few people get it. So, and of course, you're in the game. So, how often do you see small business owners, you know, really having to shift their mindset? Like, I, I have, a, you know, because you're, you know, you you live in a in a world of coaching. I want to add to that question and ask you: How many small business owners do you know are of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset? And yeah, I don't think I'd be surprised, but you tell me what your, what your kind of experience is.
1: Yeah, I would probably say that 90% of business owners that I've interacted with are in a fixed mindset. And this is the thing, like, as an, a business owner, as a human being, we are like a tree. We are either growing and thriving or we're rotting and dying. You need to choose one there's no stagnation, there's no treading water. Mm-hmm. As soon as you lose sight of that North Star, as soon as you stop growing, you start rotting. And this is the problem. The foot comes off the accelerator and the results start dwindling and the frustration increases. And even to the point that let's talk about mindset here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even in the word, it is mindset. Set means fixed. So one of the, the epiphanies I had recently of a good friend of mine who's very, very successful entrepreneur, scaled the number of million businesses exited um, and is very, very wealthy. He he says, don't call it mindset, call it mind growth. I go, cool, that makes a lot more sense. But I'll talk to you a little bit about my mind mind growth journey. I I had this from two perspectives. One, I was always a big believer in personal development. I was always curious, always wanting to learn, but I was chasing strategies and tactics. I thought the strategies and tactics was what I needed. But to explain it, when I'd actually go to implement, there would be like this feeling in my, my solar plexus as if there was a brick wall, a physical resistance holding me back from pursuing and implementing and acting. And I always question why. Why can't I do it? Why can't I find myself to get this done, to get it completed, to stop procrastinating? And that's when I discovered Mindset. So I said, I'm going to take a plunge. Maybe this is a little bit of woo woo bullshit, but I'm going to give it a shot. And you're not going to know unless you try. And it was the best investment that I ever made because we all have this operating system between our ears. Through our, our upbringing, through our experiences, through our lessons, our failures, our wins, we are conditioned. The operating system is written, and we're always looking to add new programs in. But we never go back and upgrade the operating system. It's always overlooked because it's invisible. So if the programs are running slow or not running at all or are crashing, then it's time to upgrade the operating system. So I typically go through two iterative cycles. I focus on mindset, lifting the invisible ceilings. And then once that's listed and the realms of possibility are expanded, then I go back to the strategies and tactics. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same thing that I advise my clients on.
0: There's a, another spin on mindset, which we often use, which is to give it a context because people say the word mindset, they don't get it. I, I, we expanded on it and saying, you know, think of it, what do you set your mind to? Right. So it doesn't have yeah. to be that your mind is set, but what are you setting your yeah. mind to in the context of what do I want to achieve, for example, in a goal? It's a way to actually recontextualize the word to start to open up a conversation that gives it some meaning, you know, a little bit of meaning in that regard. So it's really fascinating. And then you use the term operating system. And one of the most difficult I th- things I think for anybody is to identify what their operating system is, even that they have one. Again, I asked, do you have a process for that? Is that, how do you help somebody identify their operating system?
1: Yeah. So there's two ends of the spectrum here. There's that 20 year roadmap and we, we, we think we know what we want, but the reality is most of us have never sat down and really taken the time to ask ourselves. Most of it is superficial, societal driven social pressure. Um, and when we pair back all of the bullshit and peel all the layers back, we ask ourselves what we really want, There's often we're often left lacking. Mm-hmm. And we go, wow, what, what actually do I want? And I remember when I first did this exercise, uh, it was because I was frustrated because of my lack of action and accountability to, to uh, my own wealth creation, because everything that I'd learned up until that point was based on the fundamental principle of shrinking yourself wealthy. In order for you to be wealthy, you need to sacrifice and compromise and endure pain now in order to have a greater life in the future.
0: Like, fuck that. It's true. It yeah. sounds terrible.
1: Yeah. I, I want to be able to live a great lifestyle now and I want to be able to have my cake and eat it too. So I asked myself the question, if I was able to grow or ascend myself wealthy, what would that need to look like? And my answer to that, what came back from that was I need a three-dimensional plan because the reason why most people fall short of their goals is because they have a one-dimensional plan. They focus on one thing at a time something comes out of the periphery that competes for the same resources, and they now need to make a scarcity-based choice. It's not a lack of means, it's a lack of planning, the lack of preparation. So by creating that 20-year roadmap, it allows us to have the three-dimensional plan. And it's not easy. So I did it the first time I got to one year. I spent hours. I parked that. I come back a week later, I expanded on it. And I now do this every 90 days. And I've been doing this for probably the last kind of five or six years. And every single year, I've been able to achieve 90% or more of all of the goals that I've seen.
0: Now, are you setting them as hard goals, uh, Jackson? So if we get into a bit of a methodology, are you setting them as hard goals? Are you creating an overarching vision and then working backwards from certain steps? Just give me a little bit more depth of what your process is, yeah. you know, so that we understand they're,
1: it. They're all quantified. So if they're a lifestyle goal, for example, if I want to be able to have more free time, how many hours do I want to work a week? So my aim is I work a maximum of 40 hours a week and I work 44 weeks a year. I take eight weeks off, two weeks every quarter. Then if I want to do more fitness and, and hobbies, okay, how much time is that going to take per week? How much would I need to invest in getting the personal training, the support to be able to do that? If I want to be able to go on holidays, how much do I want to spend a year? And, and is, that does that align with the eight weeks? From financial side of things, I, one of my big goals was to buy our dream home, this acreage. And my plan was to do that in five years, and I was actually able to make a, make a plan that we spent a year traveling around Australia, living in a four-wheel drive. So, our cost of living was very, very low, and but the quality of our experience was amazing. And then, as a result of that time, in actual nine months, we were able to save all of the money that we needed for the deposit to buy this place, and I was able to achieve the goal in one year. So, by quantifying the goals, I'm able to work with those commodities of either time or money. To be able to work out, what do I need to do to bring it all to life?
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go and I want to dig a little bit deeper in this. And, and you know, because there's going to be, this is a fascinating conversation. I love this conversation, by the way, but I'm, I'm curious. We're going to have listeners, I know, and because you've asked this question uh, you know, a million times, I've asked it of clients a million times and you go, well, what do you want in life? Maybe it's the wrong yeah. question. It's some version of we can reframe that question in a number of different ways, and so often people go, I don't know. I don't know exactly. what I want. Is that your experience as well? Yeah. And I think it comes from a
1: couple of positions. One, that they haven't given themselves the space because they're terrified of what might come up. Or they believe they don't deserve, they're not willing to give themselves permission because of the fear of failure, the lack of of, of their, their self-worth, whatever the lack of means or resources are. Um, they essentially that gets in the way. So how we do this, Patrick, is we ask three questions. This allows us to create a little bit of a catalyst for giving ourselves the space to to think about what we want. So question number one is what is fundamentally important to you or what are your non-negotiable needs? So is it paying the bills on time, uh, having a good emergency fund just in case, providing for your kids, having a roof over your head, being able to pay the mortgage, So on and so forth. List out as many non negotiables as you can think of until you can't think of any more. Then, assuming that your fundamental needs have been met, what then becomes your goals, your dreams, and your aspirations? Don't think about the means or resources required, just come up with them. So, hey, you want to have your own home. Okay. Where? How much does it cost in today's market? How many bedrooms does it have? How many bathrooms? By when do you want it? Okay. You want to go on holidays? How much is it going to cost you? How many weeks a year? Who do you want it to take with you? Quiet. Try and clarify those goals with as much detail as you can. Once you've got as many goals, dreams, and aspirations listed as you can, for each of those goals, dreams, and aspirations, what is the significance of that goal, dream, or aspiration to you? So if you want your dream home in Alberta that's a full bedroom and is going to cost you $1.5 million and you want it in five years and have it paid off in 10, why is that significant? Why do you want it? Why is it important?
0: So you really get into, I love it, because what you're really asking people to do is creative. a, you know, paint a really clear vision of that future state and then be able to start to work backwards and orchestrate the steps that you're going to take To achieve that future state, knowing that if you just focus on the future state, you're going to be overwhelmed, we'll never get it done. But if you work backwards and say, what am I going to achieve to your point, whether it be 90 days, 180 days, where you're doing milestones, where you're doing check-ins, where you're actually saying, if I hit that, that actually will move me closer to that outcome. And, uh, and yes, some of those things might change along the way because life changes and circumstances happen and maybe some cooler opportunities show up. And the next thing, you know, you don't want to live in Alberta anymore. You want to move to Australia and, and buy an acreage and raise some animals.
1: Exactly. And this is the great thing about this is that this can shift and change. Like if I went back to my roadmap that I did three years ago, nowhere on it was a year traveling around Australia and living in far north Queensland on acreage and creating an animal sanctuary. Yeah, we wanted to live in acreage, but this wasn't even a realm of possibility. So by creating it and having a method that we review it every 90 days and optimize and improve, things get added, things get removed, things get adjusted, shifted and changed. So we're constantly recalibrating the plan to make sure that it aligns with who we are as people and what we truly want
0: now that you've moved along and, and and i'm interested in you know where you find yourself today in australia where you're on this land and you've now you're loading it up with animals and uh, is there there's, and there's lots of rescues in that animal rescues on that property as well
1: yeah they're they're all rescues they're so they're basically rescues. um
0: yep all rescues yeah. uh,
1: which comes with its own challenges sure. um but it's, it's a great experience my my passion actually when i was a kid i wanted to be a vet um and it's something that It's on my roadmap that probably in my 50s, I'm going to go back to university, study veterinary science, so then I can uh, basically do the vet work myself because it costs us a pretty penny to to have this sanctuary, I tell you. But it's something that that I'm passionate about. So the aim of the game here and, and what I've done personally is that there are three levels that we're going through in our entrepreneurial journey. There is the trade of time for money, and it requires you to be there. If you're not present in your business or investing that time wisely, then the money is going to be limited. There is then a point where you trade money for time. You buy back your time so you can focus more on quality of where your time is invested and take time off the table because most business owners get into business to create freedom and flexibility. Um, and that's what I've been able to to create and test And um, through the year traveling around Australia and through living in far north Queensland, being completely disconnected from my team of 25. I've been able to prove that the business can run pretty much without me in terms of day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. And, then the third stage is trading money for money, where we've got so much surplus that it's, a, it's about magnifying your wealth, your impact, and your legacy, but then we can actually create true generational wealth, and that's what I'm working on now.
0: So, when you, and what are you doing these days? Are you, uh, given Australia is much like Canada in the real estate world, I'm curious, uh, there is you know, certainly direct correlation. Uh, are you a real estate guy? Or are you a stock guy? Or are you Bitcoin? What are you, what are you doing these days? I'm very, I'm very agnostic, Patrick.
1: So, I'm a big believer that every asset class has pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And it's about designing an investment operating system that firstly allows you to understand the characteristics of each asset class and implementing the right asset at the right time based on produ- uh, producing the right outcome in your portfolio. So, our methodology is what we call a core satellite system. At the center of everything is your business, and we focus on maximizing profit and building a saleable asset. As a result of that, it's typically more profitable. It has more consistent cash flow and allows us to take more chips off the table because that's what an investor, somebody looking to buy a business is looking for. They're not looking to make a job for themselves. Second thing we do is we buy as much good quality blue chip real estate as we can. And we do that based on five key fundamentals. We want net migration, more people moving to an area than are moving away. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We want to make sure that there's diverse employment. So we're not reliant on any particular employment sector that could impact the property market adversely if there was a decline. We want infrastructure spending, both public and private. We want to see the government spending on roadways and airports and public transport, shopping centres, but we also want to make sure that private dollars are going in for restaurants and lifestyle and things that make a place really enjoyable to live. The fourth thing is that we want to understand future supply. So we don't want to buy on fringes where there's greenfield land, as far as the eye can see, where they can, developers can build house and land packages. And we also don't want to buy in the middle of CBDs, where there's relaxed zoning, where they can build towers of thousands of apartments. We want to buy in the suburbs where affluent families want to live. And then the fifth factor is that we want to understand affordability. This is not what you can afford, it's what the local population can afford, because they are ultimately going to dictate what happens in terms of rental growth and capital growth into the future. So if we can understand those five things, we can buy a really good tried and true, set forget property portfolio. And then the satellite is index funds and ETFs. we don't advocate stock picking. Most business owners are too busy to do it properly and do it any justice. So the aim of the game is let's accumulate the average of whatever the market does, and uh, it'll work itself out over time. And some of our clients do choose to speculate in cryptocurrency, but we make sure that it's only money that they can afford to lose uh, that's not going to impact their financial freedom plans
0: fantastic now when you look at what's going on uh, we'll just talk economics a little bit or the economy a little bit when you look at what's happening you know uh, globally you know what's happening in the US and uh, Europe uh, we get of course into Ukraine Russia um, Australia seems to be we talked a little bit before we got on which is to say Australia was really shut down they went off they went really hard hard and shutting things down them new zealand um where and and that seems to have all kind of ironed out now there seems to be a little bit better off what is your view of the overall global economic picture are you the eternal optimist or are you kind of going yeah you know something i I see some challenges in the future that i'm preparing for
1: yeah my whole philosophy is around optimistic accumulation I think there's two factors at play when we look at any investment vehicle. There is the fundamentals and there's the sentiment. And obviously, sentiment is low. We've only got to look at the the fear and greed index to see the impact on, obviously, the tail end of COVID, um, the Ukrainian situation, inflationary pressures in the US, um, supply chain issues. All of these things are creating uh, negative sentiment. Obviously, fuel prices as well. All of these things have an impact on sentiment. However, when we look at the fundamentals, the fundamentals are still pretty strong, sure. uh, PE ratios are ridiculous and companies are very overvalued. And I do believe there is going to be some sort of correction. But our philosophy is about accumulation over time and allowing us to dollar cost average our portfolio. Because I am certain that if we look back uh, on today, Mm -hmm. in 20 years' time, we're going to be in a better situation in 20 years' time than we are today. Now, sure, if we're looking at short-term speculation, Uh, yes, there's a lot of volatility and there's a lot of of chance to get it wrong. Just don't speculate. I personally believe that inflation will taper off as supply chains continue to return to normal. I think demand will taper off as well. Um, As a result, it's going to get inflation back in track. Uh, I think there is going to be interest rate increases, but they're not going to be overly aggressive. And I know that a lot of real estate investors are concerned about maintaining affordability and their ability to repay their debts. But we've got to realise that when interest rates go up, the government's mortgage repayments go up too.
0: Um,
1: And inflation is actually a good thing for their debts because it is eroding the value of their debt over time. So Mm. I do think that we're going to have a slightly higher than normal inflation. Like, for example, in Australia, inflation is about 3.5% where our central bank tries to keep it between two and three, but we don't see them aggressively going and and hiking rates. We probably see about a 0.5% rate increase over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. So um, my my focus is focus on the things that I can control and accept the things and understand the things that I can't and just focus on accumulating good assets over time and everything else will be fine.
0: Yeah, totally get all that. Uh, we're, uh, you know, Canada's, you know, bumping 6% CPI and, uh, you know, the US is, I, I don't know, wanna, I want to say they're well over seven. And of course, if you Really take CPI off the table and look at what it really is. It's you know probably double that in both both Canada and the U.S., um, which is fine. I, I I was just curious as your view of the world. This isn't about that particular conversation. Although I'm always looking at what's going on economically. It's kind of one of my nerdy things that I do. I'm curious. You know, in your own development, and you know when you're looking, you know, you're obviously well. Uh, read you're well schooled in what you do you've, you've you're passionate about it and with that passion comes study there's a question that I often ask business owners or people that I have on the show your view of leadership now when you when I look at it and I ask the question which is do you think leaders are born like it's a genetic predisposition or do you think it's a study and uh, you know leaders literally, work their asses off to figure shit out so they can be leaders that fundamentally they want to, they're driven to be a leader and that there is not really any natural leaders in that sense. What's your, what's your view of that world?
1: Yeah, I definitely believe that there are certain individuals that have a knack, a natural knack for leadership, mm-hmm. but I do believe that it requires a lot of personal development, a lot of growth, a lot of experience in order to be a really good leader. I've always been told that I'm and i a natural leader, but the actual like the the, the nitty-gritty details of leadership were not something that, that came naturally to me. I'm a visionary, so I, I find it very easy to get in front of a group of people and inspire them and help them get them to see my vision and buy into my vision. And what I'm not very good at is the nitty gritty details, the, the kind of the corporate governance, the structural parts of leadership. So I outsource those functions. My business partners, our COO, we've got a general manager, and um, we've got uh, in, in each of our businesses, we've got a head of department. So I allow people who are much better at the finer details to take care of that and allows me to be the chief dreamer that I focus on looking forwards, understanding where we're at and what's going to be the best path to get us from where we are to where we want to go. So I think it's important to understand that there's no one size fits all of the leadership. It's about understanding what your strengths are as a leader and playing to those strengths. And once again, when we get to that second part of that equation of being able to trade money for time, use that money wisely to hire the right people and surround yourself with the right people in your business who can help round out your leadership to get the best possible outcome in your business.
0: Yeah, I love that. Such great guidance, uh, Jackson. And the, you know, there's, a, there's a part of that which you know, goes back to, I'm sure the challenges that you face even with some of your clients is having them understand that you need to be the dumbest guy in the room, even if you own the room you know and that really is tough for some owners to realize that you know you you have no problem okay i just need a brilliant gm i need a brilliant ceo i you know i need a brilliant cfo i don't do that shit i don't want to do that so i'm going to make sure the guy that's in there i don't even know how to spell cfo so i just want to make sure that he's got <laughs> all that handled right so but that is a that's a huge shift for people that are trying to grow their business. I see it in real estate all the time, which is, you know, somebody builds this portfolio of real estate and then they can't get the hell out of it. They don't know how to, uh, you know, they, they really, and then, delegation becomes abdication and the next thing you know everything's crumbling and they go i tried all that it's stupid you know and, and the reality of it is is that they did not surround themselves with brilliant people how do you bust through that with some of your clients what is the one thing that you could give them guidance around the first thing that you need to
1: get clear on is you need an identity outside of your business your business is not your identity
0: mm-hmm.
1: it is a vehicle it is an asset I see, I pull business owners up on this all the time that they say, oh, my business is my baby. Like, let's unpack that for a moment. What is a baby? A baby is something that is not self-sufficient, that requires your constant attention, requires to be nurtured and fed and cleaned. Your business is not your baby. Your business is a wealth creation vehicle, an asset that is there to fuel you and fuel your ambitions. And further to that, like my my vision here, um, Patrick, I, I have no intention to have kids, okay? Um, and I decided that very early on in my life that I said, okay, many people tie their identity to legacy, to having children, to mm-hmm. their way of passing that legacy and, and keeping their, their, their legacy and their sure. For me, my legacy is about the impact that I can leave behind in this world once I'm gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that comes to thought leadership. So, our intention is to get our business to a point where we can list on the stock market or we'll become a much larger unlisted private company, and I want the business to last for more than 100 years. So, I've created a 100-year impact plan for what I want to create with the business as a vehicle. Now, I have no ambition to be a CEO of a publicly listed company. Mm-hmm. I don't want to answer to shareholders and like I'm a, a very rough around the edges, uh, free spirited type of guy. So I probably need somebody who's going to be a little bit more uh, polished and more of a corporate dude or or, or uh, woman who's going to be able to step into that role, still embody my values, but present them in a different way and lead the business from say $20 million to $100 million or more. And so because I understand that vehicle and I'm understanding of where I'm trying to get to, I can enjoy the ego death associated with handing over those reins and knowing that I've appointed another steward of that vehicle to get it from where it is to where it needs to go. And then the ego death and the acceptance of that ego death, because there's going to be thousands of them, is critically important.
0: It's such a, it's such an important conversation, isn't it? And uh, you know, it's interesting that you talk about a 100-year legacy or a hundred year, I think is what you said. A hundred year legacy is, uh, when yeah. years ago when I worked with my wife and I worked with Dr. John D. Martini, he's a cool cat. And, uh, you know, John said, okay, you know, what do you, what do you want them saying about you in a hundred years? And what do you want people saying about you in a thousand years from now? And it's an interesting conversation. It's an interesting view that it shifts how you look at the world, you, you know, and, and there's lots you can, you know, I think about, uh, I don't know, you can think about, uh, Walt Disney is an example and you go, you know, think about how long Disney's been around around and aside from the name i mean everybody has a story around disney and the impact it was and all the things so you talk about legacy there's a there's a, just an easy example that you get to but the ego death you know is really something a lot of business owners, and we run into it with athletes all the time, you know, because we work, you know, my wife and I, mostly my wife, but we've worked with professional athletes a lot. And, and those amateur athletes that have gone on to Olympics and that kind of thing. And the question is, is who are you if you're not that? And it's really surprising how many of those athletes struggle and, and business owners as well as who are you if you're not that and they have their identity attached to it, you're already preparing in advance for that conversation, which I think is really brilliant because that is an absolute challenge, you know, for I think business owners. I know for me, even within the real estate investment network, because I am front facing and, we you know, and I speak and we've got this community and I've been part of it a long time. I don't know that I have an identity to it per se, but I I, I do. I, I can't help it because of the nature of the business. And, you know, the question would be asked, you know, okay, you know, Patrick, who are you if you're not that? And of course, for me, it's a pretty easy answer because of just my own work that I, that I do, because I'm happy being a husband. I'm happy being a grandfather and a father and, you know, and all the things that I get to do outside of that. And it's, but it's an interesting, and I think it's a, it's a conversation that many should ponder with themselves when they ask that. And and that could be to your point earlier, even around a CEO of a major corporation who's got some That's identity it. with that, right? And not even a small business owner. It's like, okay, how do I let go of this? And then what do I do? Because how many people retire and then they go downhill from there.
1: Exactly right. And like it's it's one of those things like when they they give up their career or give up their business. We've seen it happen time and time again. And um, people actually die. Um, Because once they had nothing to live for, then what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I think the big part of this as well, Patrick, is that we all need to define the difference between enough and extra.
0: So tell me about that.
1: Entrepreneurship is so much about more, 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 more. And it's this particular character that you see them just constantly pursuing the next thing and the next thing. And it's never enough. It never... It never kind of scratches that itch. It's never, uh, they're never fulfilled. Yeah. And it's because they're constantly chasing extra. And one of the things that I've worked on a lot through kind of really molding my ego to, to not be governed by it has been studying a lot of stoicism. Mm,
0: me
1: too. And the idea of this is that what is enough? If you look back on your life and you said, hey, I'm very grateful, super grateful for everything that I've been able to achieve. What would an enough be? And your first thing is to get enough and realise from anything above that is extra. And I have enough. Mm. And, and everything now is just a game. Uh, and it's a game. Like Sometimes I still get frustrated and, and angry and, and uptight about it, but then i just going to say, Jackson, this is all extra. And I just laugh. And it just immediately takes all of the pressure out of it because it lowers the stakes. If you're playing now just for fun, how much different would you run your business, run your life, grow your wealth?
0: You know, it's an interesting conversation and I totally get it and concur is that, you know, I've had my own realizations over the years that what I have is enough. And what lives in having enough is a lot of gratitude. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've come to a point in my life now, once again, I think it changes as we grow and and get older and, and you know, the relationships have an influence, you know, certainly more than ever. I, I think, you know, social media and those moments in time that are captured on whatever social platform you happen to hang out on can really be this thing that you're never satisfied with what you have and i've come to realize and not even recently over the years i've come to realize that what i have right now if nothing changed for me is more than enough it's is is enough I'm very satisfied. I'm grateful for it. And, you know, whenever I can add to it, that's cool. Whenever I can, you know, but for me, I'm looking for things that give me joy that, uh, you know, really drive the the inspiration in me. What lights me up where I can, you know, I I, I often joke about it, but, you know, I don't need another thing to wash or to insure or worry about whether it's getting scratched or, you know, where am I going to park it? Or, you know, I'm just not there. And I mean, that's not making anybody who is wrong. But, you know, something It's it's the age old, you know, my $300 watch tells the same time as my $30,000 Rolex, you know, my, you know, $5,000, you know, wallet you know, carries exactly, exactly the same amount of money as my $30 wallet. Like it's crazy, right? So when you start to put it in perspective, those are things that show up for me. And let me go hang out with my grandkids and my, you know, my, my family. And I'm, I'm more than happy with it. So it's an interesting shift. That's what really matters. You know, it's really is an interesting shift where gratitude lives. Yes. Now you've got it at a very early age. You've got it as a young man. And, and I think that's great, but that comes from an to me, that's a purposeful development. Like you you know, you, you know, I started studying Stoicism several years ago and, you know, really, you know, have followed Marcus Aurelius and Ep- uh, Epictetus, and I've lost the last name right in the moment, but doesn't matter. The point is, is that it really is a way to live life that's pretty powerful. And Seneca, thank you. Phew, it just popped into my head. So those, those are things that's a pretty powerful way. So when you look at Marcus Aurelius, he was not, a, he was a wealthy man. You know, he was very humble, and of course, he lived as an emperor, and he did some cool things, and he battled. So I don't know where I'm going with this conversation. I just find it fascinating that in what you coach and what you've developed, I'm more interested in your journey to come to that place how do you how did you arrive there, do you think, as a young man you know did you come out of the chute this way? was it mishaps? was there a fork in the road? was there you know a death in a family of a friend something or-'cause there's sometimes a moment in time that goes you know it's it's the conversation that going holy cow, life is short, and I've come to recognize it was there something for you it's I I
1: must have some sort of spirit guide or somebody looking out for me because there's just so many things that have just fallen into place and presented the right information, the right epiphany, the right light bulb moment at the right time for me. And I'm super grateful for that. But I think the big catalyst for me is realizing that I'm actually not financially oriented and financially driven. Um, Lifestyle and the quality of my existence and the quality of my experiences and the quality of my ideas has always been my currency of choice. Mm -hmm. That led me to really further defining non-traditional currencies because, as you rightly said, Patrick, like there's so many people out there that have just fallen into this blind pursuit of money, which has led them to creating more and more financial responsibility and burden, which actually limits the opportunities that they have available. And it's their, their their dreams get watered down by the sheer fact of the financial burden that they carry. And they end up becoming a shadow of what, who they could have been in a different world at a different time, in a different place. So I've always been cognizant of not landing myself in that situation. And as a result, I've always placed a lot of emphasis on the non-traditional currencies. And it's about defining what are the non-traditional currencies that you truly measure your success by. Is it the quality time that you spend with your grandkids? Is it the quality of your health, the ability for you to pursue your hobbies and interests, travel? Um, whatever that those non-traditional currencies are for you, emphasize them.
0: Do you think that Covid has had an impact, or you' in your observation on people's values in terms of, you know, slow down here. You know, I just went two years. Yes. I didn't need to buy any clothes. I don't need any clothes. I realized just, you know, forget it. I don't need new clothes. I don't need new stuff. Yeah. I want to go out for dinner and yeah, I want to go travel a little bit more again. What, what's your, what have you observed as a coach and even how you talk to your clients these days? A hundred percent. It changed everything. It was the catalyst that everyone needed, even for myself.
1: So as a bit of backstory, I, I originally come up with an idea to spend a year traveling around Australia to show business owners how to create a true lifestyle business. And my girlfriend and I started planning it. And then we ended up just canning it because, like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. She's not going to be able to, to get out of her job. And there's too many limitations. But then as soon as COVID happened, the realm of possibility came about again. And all of these self-limiting beliefs that we had, the hurdles and obstacles basically just dissolved. And we said, okay, we've got a year to plan. Uh, We're going to prepare the the vehicle and we've got to prepare the business, and we're basically going to leave in 12 months' time to the day, and everything else has to be ready. And that allowed us to set that milestone, dissolve all of those barriers and self limiting beliefs, and just work towards the goal. And we achieved it. I think there's so many people in some way, shape, or form, no matter how big or small, that had that same epiphany. Um, And it was because it was force. But people have been doing this for years of just creating a synthetic catalyst, changing your environment, moving to a new country, starting a new business, getting out of a shitty relationship, or looking after yourself, like creating a catalyst that how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And as a result of focusing on shifting that one thing, it, it permeates into everything else that you do.
0: Yeah, uh we could go down that path really. That's I love that whole because that is the truth. You know, you, ch- you shift the trajectory. I often use the the analogy that, you know, you hit a golf ball 1 millimeter out at the tee and it's 300 yards out in the other driveway, you know, and it's really, where do we set our trajectory? And, you know, you set a timeline, you said, okay, by the year that actually puts in place, you've already shifted the trajectory. You've already shifted the trajectory of your thinking. You've shifted the trajectory of the decisions you're going to make because your decisions are very focused on that one outcome, you know, whatever, December 31st, we're done. We're out of here. We're flipping off the lights and we're moving. And, you know, we're jumping in our four wheel drive and, starting to travel across the country. In that moment, the trajectory shifted. And it's why that one little thing really permeates. It changes everything. And if people can get that and think from it, I think it's such a powerful kind of way to look at the world to realize that don't let it get in the way of making decisions, but make those decisions that light you up, that drive you, and then work backwards from that ultimate outcome. I love that thought process. So, um, as we start to kind of wind down here a little bit, you know, what I like to do is dig in a little bit, uh, Jackson, with some fun few questions, what we would call rapid fire that are never rapid fire, but I ask them anyways. And uh, tell me about your, you look fit, you're young, you're energetic. How do you look after yourself? You know, I'm a big believer in that you are the center of your universe and that you owe it to those around you that you have responsibility to, to look after yourself. What do you do? Yeah. First
1: thing that I did five years ago is I gave up drinking. It was originally just going to be a year. And then three months in, I realized the actual toll that it was taking on me and my body and that I'd been firing on two cylinders for basically my entire adult life. And and I never looked back. And look, whether you've got a drinking problem or not, whether you only drink socially, uh, I urge you to try. And not only just to say, I'm not going to drink for three months, six months, 12 months, whatever the number is. One, it'll give you the contrast of experience, so at least then you can actually compare. But two, it's about flexing your, your, your willpower mm-hmm. of your ability to set your mind to something and actually follow through with it. Mm-hmm. Because every time that you procrastinate and don't do something, you are actually increasing your procrastination threshold. And what's so important is being able to get into the habit of doing what you say.
0: I love it. Um, you know, I love it. I did that. I actually quit drinking. Uh, I didn't do it for an extended period of time. I actually didn't drink for many, many years. I quit drinking when I was, I don't know, 30 and didn't take it up again until I was 45. You know, something along that line. It was crazy. I'd have a beer once a year. It was just one of those things that didn't didn't appeal to me. And, and then yeah. recently, uh, not that many months ago, I quit drinking and I don't know how long I went for several months and then, you know, pick it up again. I'm, I'm not attached to it that way. But the point is, is that it really does make a significant difference because it's really easy, you know, sitting around to the next thing, you know, another bottle of wine disappears. And, uh, you know, so it's something to consider. I love that thought process. Do you yeah. do, uh, are you, do you train, do you run, do you work out on a regular basis as well? Yeah, well, obviously on the farm there's always stuff to do, of so that keeps me very fit. Yeah, yeah, um,
1: and uh, just working around the farm and taking care of all the animals yeah. that, uh, that definitely keeps me fit. I've been a lifelong martial artist, so I've been training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for about eight years now, mm-hmm. uh, on and off. It is very high impact, and I'm only a little fella. I'm uh, I'm uh, five foot six and sixty kilos, dripping wet, so uh, I do get injured a lot. So in between my injuries, I try and train as much as I can. Uh, <laughs> but funny. it's probably one of the best things that I've ever done. is martial arts has really helped me uh, creates that just mindfulness and, uh, and essentially have a different perspective on, uh, on, on the world. Um, so, uh, all of those things keep me, keep me pretty sharp and fit. Beautiful. Uh, meditation. Look, I've never been one on meditation. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got ADHD, so keeping my mind on one thing has never been something that I do well. However, say if I'm mowing the lawns or I'm going and doing something around the farm, I'm always using that as, as a reflection. Sure. And so uh, it's more of a guided meditation or a structured thought process that allows me to kind of unpack things and uh, look within to, uh, to shift that operating system.
0: Beautiful. I love that. Um, I do I do meditate, but I also totally get what you just talked about. Uh, do you have a favorite book that you have read or that you like to gift something that really shows up for you?
1: Yeah. A, a book, I actually read it last week again. One of the first books my old man gave me was The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad said to me, reread the book every five years of your life and it will take a whole new meaning and give you all new direction. And uh, I, I've, I've done that. And uh, and I, I listened to it again last week. And it still proves to be true. So I highly recommend it. And just phenomenal.
0: I haven't read that book for, oh, man, 100 years. Uh, but now that you've said it, I'm absolutely going to uh, get it. In, yeah, I'm going to download it for sure. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Forever iPhone? Uh, I did
1: get the shits with Apple and I then jumped ship and then the same happened and I came back. So now everything (laughs) is Apple.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's great. What's the job that you do even though you hate to do it, but you do it because you're good at it? Not much, to be honest. I was going to say, you're Uh, pretty clean. You're probably going, yeah, no, not so much for me. Totally. Yeah,
1: I'm a big believer of outsourcing the things that you don't enjoy doing. um, So I think I do that pretty well.
0: Fantastic. Favorite inspirational quote? Do you have one? Yep. Uh, Confucius
1: quote. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the second best time is today.
0: Yeah, there's wisdom right there. Room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? None of them. You have them cleaned. <laughs> Who do you have them? No. <laughs> that's funny. I'll, I'll let you finish the answer to that. You don't do it. You just you let it do its thing or that's just not your priority?
1: Uh, no, not not my thing. We either take it to get cleaned or um, my partner does, does uh, a lot of the cleaning. <laughs> so, uh, okay. so, yeah. That's great. Do you have a favorite tune or a favorite band? I do have a favorite band. I'm a big metal fan. So my favorite band is a metal band called Seven Dust.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, a
1: big, big fan.
0: You're a metal guy, hey? That caught me a little bit by surprise. You know, I've got a couple of good friends of mine who are metal guys, and I'm going, what the hell? And they go, no, Metallica is awesome. And I actually had them. I go, you guys are not Okay. I, I I don't get metal, okay? So I said I said I tell you what I'm open I'm open to it. They're significantly younger than I am, so I'm I'm open to it. I said send me your favorite metal tune, like your favorite Metallica tune. So they each sent me Metallica. Honest, I listened to sixty seconds of each one, and I went, "What in I'm the not. hell?" <laughs> like it just does not work in my my body. It like the it just anyways. That's just me though. Uh, do you have a favorite movie? Favourite movie? Um, my my lifelong
1: favourite movie has been a movie called Milo and Otis.
0: Hmm. Okay, I'm not familiar with it, uh, but I'll look it up. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear when you get to the gates? Uh, welcome in. Jackson, what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for life. Beautiful. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be me and to live
1: every day on
0: purpose fantastic and i my friend i'm grateful for having the opportunity to get to know you a little bit today and for uh, you taking the time to join me on the everyday millionaire podcast sincerely appreciate it some gold in this podcast you uh, really uh, brought a lot of value to our listeners today and i sincerely appreciate it so thank you very very much my absolute pleasure ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at That's ceo at r-e-i-n canada dot com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick O.